everybody, Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. We've got another great virtual conference coming up June 15th and 16th, all about creating and sustaining an inclusive candidate experience, why DEI strategies and tactics are critical to competitive recruiting and hiring today. And we have Melissa Majors and Dr. Shirley Davis, who are keynoters for this event and many other great speakers and sessions. So highly recommend that you register. You can go to the talentboard.org slash events and find the June 15th and 16th conference and register for free today. And don't forget, our benchmark research program is still open. Plenty of time to participate in our research, and that's open through the end of August of this year. Enjoy the podcast. The industrial clients that we have where we're helping, you know, staff up the the manufacturing roles, it's still work-life balance. Some of these candidates are asking, how much overtime am I going to have to do? Sometimes the clients are honest and saying, it's been, we've been struggling. So you have the option to do overtime, but it's an option. Like you're not required to do it. So I think in those situations where previously, if if there was a shortage, they'd say, okay, you got to stick around. Now it's, can you? It's a different experience. You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Chris Murdoch, Chief Sourcing Officer and Co-Founder of IQ Talent Partners, providing full-service, on-demand talent acquisition solutions and a proud Candy Partner. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. You are the Chief Sourcing Officer and Co-Founder of IQ Talent Partners. And before we dive into the rest of the show, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today. I am a guy that just talks all day. That's my job. I, I talk to candidates, employees, clients, coworkers, you name it, that's my job. But no, honestly, again, like you said, I'm the chief sourcing officer and the co-founder of IQTP. I don't have a job description. I go where the team needs me, be it David Winley, our, our CEO, or my co-founder, Tom. If they need me to, to help with something that's not going well, I jump in. When we have a new client that needs some research support and they're struggling to figure out what the solutions are, I get pulled in. So my job in it here is just to make sure everyone is successful. And is that in your LinkedIn profile, master talker? <laughs> No, but it should be. My wife is, you know, as we've gotten, you know, post-COVID, you know, as we kind of, this post-COVID world, I am actually going out to meetings now. I had a a lunch meeting today and it felt weird. Right, right. I've actually, yes, I know, getting out there a little bit too. And so it does feel weird, but it's like my wife would just call me the master blabber. That's what she would but she loves me. So that's all good. All good stuff. Hey, Chris, listen, speaking of, I mean, I know, and trust me, I I totally get, we want to say post-pandemic, we do. I know we do. We're not really, but we want to say it. We're moving in that direction, but it's to, to live with it. It's an endemic. To be endemic, yes. And so anyway, we, we continue to live in this bonkers market too, the recruiting and hiring market as well, right? So what's different about the market today? And I know it, you know, no, it changes day to day as well, right? And even though it's a very candidate driven market now, but what's different for in the market today for you and your customers that you serve than it was even a year ago? The biggest thing here is work life balance has become the number one 
aspect of just about every project we're working on, whether they're in California, Texas, New York, over, you know, so, somewhere overseas in, in Eastern Europe or Western Europe, work-life balance is the number one thing. And where we have clients that say we need people in the office, we help them understand that that might make things take a little longer. The hybrid you know, high clients that are willing to do, you know, a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home, it takes a little less time. But where we are finding the whole remote, the remote work, working from home 100%, that is when we have clients that say our candidates can be anywhere. Oh, we just love it because it makes it that much easier to, to recruit for our Oh, our sure. I'm, I'm sure it does. Now, the reality is, obviously, there's a lot more folks that can work remote and hybrid that if the pandemic has shown anything, even to the unfortunate reaction of some business leaders today of trying to pull people back. It can and does work. Not everybody can work remote though, right? There are people that have to be on in the store, in the plant, in the office, I mean, for certain things, but I think it does open up flexibility in regards to being able to source and recruit and hire folks that a few years ago you would never even thought about before for th- for those roles right and our clients that have those the the industrial clients that we have where we're helping you know staff up the the manufacturing roles it's still work life balance some of these candidates are asking how much overtime am i going to have to do and sometimes the clients are honest in saying it's been we've been struggling so you have the option to do overtime but it's an option like you're not required to to do it. So I think in those situations where previously, if, if there was a shortage, they'd say, okay, you got to stick around. Now it's, can you? It's a different experience. Well, that's the thing is, I think that the, the, the businesses that are, again, knee-jerk reacting to thinking that everybody has to be in the same room under the same roof together, they're going to be the ones that are going to struggle a lot more especially in this market today where it is candidate centric they candidates at what we've seen the past year and, and or more since the pandemic too de- demanding more flexibility demanding more cash too cash is king and queen and that's a big part of it but demanding more flexibility well i can add to that here though we we do train people that are new to recruiting and we found even you know pre covid that people needed to be in the office as much as possible in that first six months. So we do ask our team when they first start, they're in the office most of the time, because otherwise, if you're learning a new craft, you can't necessarily, it's really hard to do remote. And we did find, we did try to do it. It was difficult. Those It took a little longer for those people to ramp up, but here we are, you know, bumping up on, you know, people ending their six months and they have the ability to work from home. They're still coming in like 75, 90% of the time will be full. And most of these people can actually have already earned the right to, to work from home. Well, I mean, part of that is part of what you're, because of your process too, right? You're indoctrinating them. They need to be in staff. And I know that there's a cultural aspect that helps to unify folks that they've been working together under the same roof for a while. And and maybe some will come and go after they get that opportunity. Why, I'm just curious that from your perspective and You can kind of lace this with a little bit more about how you're serving your customers, and we can segue to that too. Why do they need to be in, since we're talking about it, for six months? We didn't just arbitrarily come up with that. And what's interesting there is we didn't have a policy in place prior to this one incident. We had a whole class that just decided to work from home immediately after training. And they all suffered. They struggled. They had a hard time. They weren't really picking it up. And so we started asking, you know, interviewing people here, you know, like, how long did it really take you to 
to, to ramp up and, and become comfortable with the job and the role and, and the responsibilities to understand our process, to understand how we think through our, our client solutions. Because we are remote from our clients. We don't place our people on site. They all work remotely. And so people kept saying over and over again, our, our senior leaders kept saying, it takes about six months to really get the, the swing of this. And so we switched to that. And now we have you know, we are starting since we put that in place, we're seeing people get promoted faster. We're seeing people, you know, they get the muscle memory down of, of what it means to be a sourcer. And then ultimately they, they figure it all out and, and they, they start to just excel a lot faster when they're here and then they can go work from home. And that's because of the the the, uh, the continuous support that they're getting as well, right? Being in the office, always training, always training. You're there with your coworkers. You know, we have people here that have become best friends with their colleagues, uh, roommates, etc., because they they really bond over ping pong. We have an ongoing ping pong tournament. And I think that might be one of the reasons. But do why. you have a pinball machine? That's what I want to know. No, but it's been requested. Get the pinball, and then I'm coming to visit. Because that's my I, that old school pinball that way, for, for sure. In fact, there is, just as a quick little segue, I know you know this already, Chris, but my favorite band is the rock band Rush and has been for a long, long time. There was a pinball machine created by, I can't remember the company's name, that was Rush Pinball Machine. It just came out this last year. And even though they're not a functioning band anymore, and I told my, I told my wife, I'm like, I really want to get that. And she's like, really, how much is it? And it's like, it's, you know, $7,000. <laughs> she's like, you don't need a pinball machine that bad, honey. I know you love Rush, but you don't need it that bad. Let's get back to to business, though. I just, just a little aside. So I'll start the crowd, uh, the GoFundMe among the candy community, and uh, we'll 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 see if we can't get Kevin his Rush pinball machine. Because then she's like, "Where are you even going to put it? I'm going to put it where my drums are in the garage." So put no, it right, right behind you, right, in the right, house, right full now, blast, exactly, full right. blast. Turn that volume way That's up. That's not going to happen. So let's let's talk more about the customers that you serve and what you're helping to solve for them and, and the model that you have, the, the, the sourcing and recruiting model that, that you have in the market today. What are those pain points that you're solving for them? So we are a professional services firm. We're not a commission-driven, bonus-driven recruitment firm. Uh, we do by-the-hour, on-demand augmentation. That's the way we describe it. So essentially, our team becomes an extension of our clients' in-house recruitment teams. And for some clients, we are the in-house recruitment team. And so one of our big differentiators and one of the reasons why we still don't have salespeople is because we have built a culture that adapts to our clients' cultures. When we're on an engagement, we are an empathetic group of people. We hire an empathetic group of people and we train them on how to do recruiting, but you can't train empathy. That's one of the things that we we really kind of- You can learn for. empathy though. You can learn it, but you have to do it over time. You just can't say, here, go be empathetic. But what we do is we, when we, our recruiting process, our kickoff process, our intake process is to understand who they are before we've even gotten started on recruiting a rec. Because we need to know who we're representing. We need to be, and we have to do it quickly. That's our thing. We jump in. We want to start producing candidates for our clients to interview within the first two weeks. So we have to be effective. We have to be efficient and we have to be empathetic because we have to understand who our clients are so that we can represent them to the candidates. Now it's hourly rate. Is that variable depending on who you're sourcing and recruiting? Sourcing and research only is one rate. Full life cycle recruiting is the other. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So then just to play that one more step further, Obviously, the hourly model is one of the key differentiators, but how, I mean, today, right now, recruiting and hiring is hot. It's 
complicated and frenetic, but it's hot. And so when you look at the RPOs that are in the space too, right? Other kinds of recruiting and hiring firms, besides what you've already outlined so far, what is another way that you differentiate? The on-demand aspect of it. And right now, when somebody's going on maternity leave, you got to try to find yourself a contract recruiter that's going to want a three-month, more than just a three-month contract or a six-month contract. We can come in and backfill ourselves oftentimes. So we come in and we fulfill the demand that, you know, whatever the current organization is unable to do that, you know, they staff for, you know, a certain level of recs and they have an overage. We come in. If they've got somebody that leaves, we can come in until we, they backfill that person. So we're set to come in, do the recruitment that you need. And then we bounce. Got it. Got it. Got it. So how do you deliver then because we're going to bring it to candidate experience because that's what we focus on at talent board as you know in the research that we do so how how are you ensuring not only just delivering a consistent quality candidate experience because that's not easy to do over time for anybody for any organization Um, and where are the areas where you excel when it comes to that delivery so it's easy to talk about when things go well with candidate experience. Our differentiator has to do with when things aren't going well. Because from day one, when I talk about our model and, and the philosophy that we have around recruiting and how we want to make sure that our candidates, our clients, and our colleagues are all having a great experience. And if you notice a, cl- a colleague, we say from day one, if a colleague is sending an email at two o'clock in the morning, you need to check on that person and find out why they're sending an email at two in the morning. If a client is upset, don't just get defensive Try to understand why, where the the client is coming from. Ask questions. Try to get to the heart of it. Try to be proactive about creating a good experience for them. But we also want to make sure that if a candidate is not having a good experience or a hiring manager is unresponsive, so say we do two weeks worth of work and we keep submitting candidates, we have no idea. We're not getting any response. We train our team, if something's not right, raise your hand say something. If something's not right, say something. Go to your practice leader. Go to your engagement leader. Go to somebody. Start asking for help until you find the right person that can help you overcome whatever is happening. And if it's not working out with a company, if they're not creating a good experience for their candidates, it's usually pretty telling that that it's not going to work for us anyway. So we'll typically address that as quickly as possible. And we have ended engagements very quickly because a hiring manager just couldn't devote the time to fill these jobs. And we don't want to be reaching out to candidates only to have them, you know, go into a you know black hole and no, exactly. There's a, a piece that I'm going to have coming out soon too because we're looking at every year we we dig a little deeper in the data we capture and and look at it from different vantage points and different cuts and different takes and you know the thing that is we find in our data. And again, this is in, in the along the lines of things not to do for employers. But if you are reaching out, especially when you are sourcing and you're reaching out to candidates, right? Because in our because most most on average sixty to seventy seventy percent in our data year after year, most candidates we're doing our own research. We're doing our own outreach. That's just the way it works. But for those that are being sourced and recruited, if you are reaching out and you're contacting and you're setting next steps up and expectations and then just drop the ball and maybe they do get screened or interviewed and then that then there's nothing from you ever again that's not a good thing to do because those that's the stuff that that kind of thing will can backlash on your business and your brand because they're going to start talking to their inner circles their friends the colleagues and start sharing this this thing that happened right so my point is is that how then speaking up this is great to empower your team to do that is is super critical what else do you do to work better and more closely and more productively with 
the hiring managers that you're working with? Well, it, it really comes down to the client. Sometimes we don't have access to the hiring managers. Um, it just depends on the way that we're more successful when our sourcers can listen to what the hiring manager is talking about. So what we try to do is we try to encourage our clients to be inclusive of our team on internal calls as much as possible. Because again, it comes back to the whole, we want to understand who you are as quickly as possible as a firm, as a company, as a client. But we also, if we don't have access to the hiring managers, we're going what can we sell? What can we share? How can we say where they fit into an organization? So that's one way to overcome, you know, some of those issues with hiring managers. When we have an account manager who has a good relationship, we keep creating new roles. Roles we there's like we have three roles today that didn't exist three years ago. So now we have, you know, we've put more structures in place, almost all support structures for our colleagues, our our, our recruiters and sourcers. And so what that's done though is it's actually allowing them to have more access to ways to overcome issues with the client for the candidate. Because our our team, we're contacting path like you were saying, passive candidates. We are out there actively trying to get people interested. And if we have a hiring manager that is not following good process, if we have a hiring manager that's creating a bad experience, we'll stop. We'll say something. And, you know, the account managers feel empowered and and by their client contacts to, to do something about that. One of the things that we measure is candidate resentment. And that's in the, the form of one of the key data points that we, uh, ratings that we get from candidates are their likelihood to change the relationship they have with the employer moving forward based on their hiring experience. Most candidates don't get hired. So, and for even for most of those that don't get hired, it's still even a shorter road for them. But for the resentment, the way that we measure it are those candidates who say, I'm never going to do anything with you again. I'm never going to apply again. I'm never going to refer. If you're a consumer company, I'm not going to purchase anything from you. And just going kind of connecting the dot and and closing the loop of what we were just talking about, when there is outreach that's done and then the candidate, there's no follow-up, they don't get any closure after that, their resentment goes up another 60%, six zero in our data and research. It's a huge spike, right? And, and just think about, especially for those who are doing, making more of an investment on, for their careers and the investment that you and your team and the company's making, that exchange need, that loop needs to be closed. That's why communication and feedback are, are so important. And a part of that comes, you said, you know, the feedback loop. Well, also making sure you set expectations. If you have a hiring manager that you know can take a week to respond because they're really busy, as long as you're setting the expectation with the candidate appropriately saying, hey, you know, they're going through a new, especially for engineering. I mean, they're going through a new release. The hiring manager, she'll be free in a week. Can we, you know, get something on the calendar that far out? You know, as long as you're setting expectations, if you do have a, you know, a hiring manager that has a a problem, as long as you're setting expectations and you then meet those expectations, things can take a little longer because you've at least set the stage. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's the, that's why, you know, A, I mean, I when I hear companies say, you know, we have stopped sending out autoresponders because, you know, it's just, it, it, it just it's a negative response anyway. I'm saying, you know what, you're going to have a worse negative response if you're not sending anything, if you're not even, if you're not communicating or sending anything. But if you're going to say that we will get back to you, the next step, you know, next steps will be in the next two weeks and it's four, you're also going to have a problem. But it's just like anything, right? You want to you want to be realistic with expectation setting and potentially over deliver if you can. And that includes recruiting and hiring, too. Well, it also the thing is, if I tell somebody 
that you know the hiring manager is not going to be available for a week and they're in final stages with another company that gives me the information i need to then prompt the hiring manager to to move a little faster one of the things we have noticed is that and i don't have the empirical data but one of the things anecdotally that we're starting to see clients that have you know from the time that we engage with somebody to the time that the hiring manager you know meets with them the shorter that is the more likely the candidate is to have a good experience absolutely by the way i'll support that because that's what our data shows. And then, you know, the longer it takes to, you know, the, the longer it takes for them to have the first phone call with the client, the more likely they are to fall out. Time, what's that old adage that time kills all deals? And so we've, we, we're trying to do is make sure that we are, you know, creating, you know, truncating that time and always looking for ways to, to shorten the amount of time it takes to get through the process. That is exactly what happens. Timeliness is a huge differentiator and in, in, in any market, but especially in, in this market today, when you have a lot more jobs than you have candidates that are not only available, but that are, that are interested or even potentially would be interested based on the market today. A couple more things I wanted to, to wrap up on, Chris, b- before we go is what is, so based on everything that we've talked about so far. What's one thing that you would tell business leaders and the the managers themselves to ensure a positive impact of the recruiting and hiring process, right? On the business bottom line in particular, what's what is one thing that you would recommend to business leadership? What do they need what do they need to be involved in? What do they need to do? Have an actual process. Like actually have a uh, you know, especially the early stage companies, the companies that really want to scale they need to put a recruitment process in place from systems to interview guides to who's on the loop, how many people have to touch a candidate before the, a decision can be made. Are you looking for unanimity? Are you looking for a consensus? Setting those, just having a process that you can then build on and improve over time creates a better experience for the interviewers, for the hiring managers, for the candidates, for the, the recruiters, and ultimately for the bottom line especially in sales recruiting, if you don't have a process to get these salespeople in and then ultimately onboarded in an effective way, process, process, process. Like that is how you make things better. For us, I started to look at why were we losing clients? And it was when we didn't have a sense of urgency. If we weren't looking at making sure that we had candidates within the first two weeks of a process. So we now have the first two weeks process. Since we put that in, we've lost very few clients. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Man, that makes sense. Yeah, process, process, process. Sure, sure. That totally makes sense. What's one quick thing that you would tell TA leaders today that of what they need to do to to not to continually to make their business case to leadership of things they need to do to improve recruiting and hiring? What do they need to do? They need data. Most of the time, I mean, this even goes back to pre-AI and stuff, you know, like when it was still called big data. Data. Data to will support, and so any ask you 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 have for tools or more people or to improve the process, you need data to show that there will be an ROI. There's still a lot, you know, in in, in recruiting, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff is up in the air. It's all dependent upon people responding and people wanting to work for you and and lower you know reduce the turnover, etc. But if you don't have the data, you can't ask the business. The CFO is not going to let you have an, an extra two million dollars in your budget to put a new ATS in place just because your gut tells you you need one. right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> no, that's not that, that's not that's not how it works. Not even on the best of days. That's how it works. No way. Well, listen. Listen, Chris, as we wrap up and, and totally enjoyed the conversation today too, the thing I always like to ask all my guests, besides all things world of work, because we're always working all the time, work, 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 work. What else does Chris like to do? I know some of the answers to this, but what else does Chris like to do? I live 
to support my wife. She's doing so much good. She's a pediatric hematologist, oncologist with a specialty in pediatric transfusion medicine. Almost 10 years together, and I can do that in one breath. She's the medical director of the blood bank at Vanderbilt, and I have now seen her help save the blood supply, not just at Vanderbilt and Nashville, but recently at a national level when she was all over the news. And then my eight-year-old daughter, just continuing to to help her experience new things and, and dig deep into the stuff that she really loves. She and I both love food. So we cook, we go to restaurants. I see that a lot. She's eight years old and she can tell the difference. You could put two oysters in front of her. She'll eat both raw oysters. If one's from the Pacific and one's from the Atlantic, she will be able to tell the difference. She knows that, huh? Wow. That's that's amazing. I can't even tell the difference between a frozen burrito and a, I I don't even know what that is. But no, that's pretty, that's fascinating. But no, food. I definitely like food too, but not to that discriminating level. Well, listen, Chris, thanks so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. It was great to catch up with you as always. And uh, hopefully at some point in the future, we'll see each other in person again. We will. Absolutely. And uh, all I got to say is one of the best gift I ever received was from you guys, from the candies. You had sent a, a thank you gift and it was all candy. Oh, <laughs> this was this was years ago. This was years right, and years right. ago. I know. And it was the best thank you gift. Wine, that's fine. The candy and then me sharing it with everybody here, all the employees here in Nashville. It made me popular for like an hour. And and I appreciate that. Good. Well, that's a, And that's an hour that you're never going to forget. 100%. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. And um, we will talk again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.